First John chapter number two. First John two, our next installment there. I was really kind of torn after this morning, thinking I would go a different direction, but as I was looking at it this afternoon, and I realized that this too kind of goes with some of the thoughts that I brought out this morning, along with a precursor to other messages the Lord's put upon my heart. So I'll just go this way. All right. First John chapter number two. And let's pick up reading verse number one. My, we're just read verse one through six. My little children, these things write I unto you that ye sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And he is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And hereby we do know that we know him if we keep his commandments. He that saith, I know him, and keepeth not his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whosoever keepeth his word, in him verily is the love of God perfected, Hereby know we that we are in him. He that saith he abideth in him ought himself also to walk even as he walked. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you for the day and the many blessings you've given us. Thank you, Lord, for the privilege uh, of being here in the house of God again tonight. I pray that you'll guide and direct. Uh, Lord, we should have prayed. (laughs) Thank you for guiding and directed in our business meeting and as we meet with uh, the man about our parking lot. I pray that you give wisdom and direction and help and discernment. I pray that you'd send in the finances needed for that. And Lord, may the work when we get it done be uh, uh, what we're looking for. And I pray, Lord, for uh, the scripture tonight, the message and the, the lesson tonight as we um, look into it and uh, as we endeavor to just glean from these, these pass- this passage of scripture. Help us, dear God, to walk therein, and we'll thank you and praise you for it. I pray and ask that you would uh, revive us, Lord. Help us, dear God, in our walk. May we be fully uh, uh, persuaded of the truths in the Word of God. Not only that, but then fully uh, 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 compliant to thy Word. And we'll thank you and praise you for it. We ask and pray these things in Christ's name and for his sake. Amen. Amen. All right. So... All right, so, 1 John chapter 2, and I think we've got some folks coming in here. All right, come on in. All right, we're just getting started. Like I said, about an hour, we'll be done, or maybe less than that. All right, so, First uh, John chapter number 2. So, anyway, so, um, last time when we introduced uh, chapter number 2 here, First uh, John, then uh, we kind of skipped down to... Uh, the new commandments. I, I didn't deal with verses one through seven because uh, you know the, I felt the Lord just led us to the, speak of the new commandments, the old commandment and the new commandment. The old commandment, verse number seven, 
And we spoke of it, loving the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy mind, and with all thy soul, loving thy neighbor as thyself. That's the Old Commandments. And we told by Matthew that all the law and the prophets fell basically under loving our God and loving our neighbor as ourselves. We also discussed the New Commandment that we felt uh, that he was bringing out here in verse number 8, that New Commandment, which is loving our brothers, loving each other, loving the brethren. Uh, uh, that was the New Commandment. And we did bring out, you know, there is a love for each other as brothers and sisters in Christ that we will not have uh, toward our neighbor, if you want to put it that way. The neighbor is without. There's a relationship that we have as brothers and sisters in Christ that you don't have with the world, you know. Uh, you have a love for them that they would become a brother and sister in Christ. You have a love for them that we can be benevolent toward them like the, the good Samaritan was uh, there in that passage of Scripture when, when Christ was asked, who is our neighbor? But there is a love to the brethren. It's different. And we've seen that in that first, the first century church. Again, when, when the first century church Christians were, were selling and they were putting it all in the coffers of the church and the church was distributing that uh, as, as people had need of. And, and then we see the ministration uh, toward the widows there in, in the book of Acts as well. And how that deacons, well, it doesn't use the word deacon there, but uh, it kind of gives the connotation of the deacon. The, those men were set aside to serve tables to allow the preachers uh, in that passage of Scripture to give themselves to prayer and to the Word. And so there was people, but, the, but in that, you had people other than, you had the church people doing the work of the ministry uh, and we see that in Ephesians chapter five or four, uh, that he gave some apostles and so on and so forth to, for the perfecting of the saints for the work of the ministry. So you got the saints doing the work of the ministry as far as laboring in the ministry. They labored toward uh, toward the uh, fatherless. That's a pure religion according to the word of God. They labored toward the widows and taking care of the widows' needs. Pure religion that we read of in the Word of God as well. And that is that new commandment, loving your brother internally, a new commandment there. We dealt with that. So just so kind of going back, bring us back down in, into that, we spoke of propitiation, what propitiation means there in verse number 2, and he is, talking about Christ. I notice, and I'm not dealing with verses 1 and 2 so much today, we'll be doing 3 through 6, but... My little children, these things write unto you again, John, as we pointed out in the Gospel of John, he also told us why he wrote, you know, the, the things that he penned. Of course, we know that he penned those things by the uh, inspiration and direction of the Holy Spirit, but um, yeah, there in... John chapter 20, verse number 31. But these things are but these are written that ye might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing ye might have life through his name. And so he's writing this epistle 
of 1 John, and he's pretty much the same thing. These little, my little children, these things are right unto you, that you sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ. And I notice how he put thee and that um, part of speech, thee, the emphasis, thee. He is the door. He is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. But here he is called the righteous. The righteous. And we are to walk, we'll see here in verse number 6, he saith, uh, he that saith he abideth in him ought himself also to walk even as he walked. So Christ, back here in verse number 2, being our example, he is the righteous. And our walk should be right, one of righteousness, which is what we discussed this morning in that definition of righteousness. And of course, like I'll just reiterate that in uh, in our our um, definition uh, of righteousness toward God, applied to God is the perfection or holiness of His nature, exact rectitude or faithfulness. So we look to Him and His exact uh, perfection, His perfection or holiness of His nature, and then we, in our righteousness, ought to strive and to walk. As he walked, the Bible says there in verse number seven, six. Ought to himself so to walk even as he walked. He is the righteous. And so he is our example. And again, they were first called Christians at Antioch. Why? Because they seen something in the church at Antioch that said, hey, they were followers of Christ. And again, going back to this morning's message, that is going to be a manifestation of so-called revivals. You know, you can, like one person pointed out, people can get in and do, you know, a whole bunch of praise and worship and pray and sing, but unless the Word of God is applied, and we're going to see that here in a second, the Word of God is applied to their lives and their walk don't change, then there ain't nothing to it. If their lives don't change, if they don't become more righteous, if they don't become uh, a little closer in their walk and, and their lives reflect the word, then it's nothing. It's false. So anyway, so... And then Jesus Christ, the righteous, and I noticed, just pointed that out, and he is the propitiation, and we dealt with that last week as far as what propitiation means. He is the atoning sacrifice. He is the one that satisfies God the Father. His blood paid the price for, of redemption for all mankind. We see that. And he is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Again, going back to the gospel message there in Second Corinthians, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scripture. He was buried and raised again the third day according to the Scripture. There's that gospel message. And so for, he died for our sins. He is the propitiation. He's the only thing that would satisfy God. Our Heavenly Father, the Holy God, His blood is the only thing that would satisfy him. And the Bible also says without the shedding of the blood, there is no remission. There has to be a blood sacrifice. 
God's not satisfied with anything else. And for other versions of the Bible, for our guests, we use the King James around here, but there's a lot of other versions of the Bible that will take out the blood. There's songbooks that takes out the blood. These new, you know, a lot of these churches, you know, that, that my pastor called them 7-Eleven songs. It was, it was, you know, they put it up on the big screen. Seven, seven words that you sing 11 times. Oh, you know. <laughs> but we sing the old songs that still has the blood in them. <clears throat> The old songs, it still has the gospel message in them. And it's for His glory, not for our own entertainment and not for our own, you know, to, to, uh, to, uh, to showcase our own talent. And that's what happens a whole lot of these, whole lot of times in these churches. You know, look how the brother can play the guitar. Yes, we have guitars up here. Look how the sister can play the piano. You know, and so on and so forth. They could be, you know, famous. But that's not what our worship should be. It should all be for His glory and for His honor. So, And He is a propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, as was mentioned this morning, but for the sins of the whole world. It goes all the way, or maybe it was a conversation out there earlier, all the way back to Adam. And all through the Old Testament scripture, when Christ, even as early as Genesis chapter 3, in the promise of the seed through Eve, that there was going to be a seed that would bruise the serpent's head, was the promise of the Messiah there, looking forward to the Messiah. In fact, um, one uh, scholar... Um, thought about that this here, let's see here. Verse number 1 of Genesis 4, And Adam knew Eve his wife, and she conceived and bare Cain, and said, I have gotten a man from the Lord. And she again bare his brother Abel, and Abel was the keeper of the sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. But she said of Cain... I have gotten a man from the Lord. After God had said that through her seed that they would come one, verse number 15 of Genesis chapter 3, and I will put enmity between thee and the woman and between thy seed and her seed, it shall bruise thy head and thou shalt bruise his heel. It has been said that when he, she said that of Cain in chapter 4, verse 1, that she might have just gone back to the previous chapter of what God said her seed would do. She was believing it that early. <laughs> Even though it wouldn't come for centuries, she still had a faith in what God said about the seed that would come through woman. To bruise his head. So she already had that. She, that forethought, obviously it wasn't Cain because Cain didn't wind up that way. But she was believing what God had said concerning the seed of a woman that would bruise the serpent's head. Anyway, all right, so for the sins of the whole world. 
And here we are. So, and hereby we do know that we know him if we keep his commandments. As I was reading through this, the first thing, the biggest thing that popped off to my of the page whenever I was reading that is who in that passage of scripture, who are we trying to prove it to? Who are we trying to prove that we know him? It's to ourselves. I'm not having to try to convince you according to that way that that's written, and you're not having to try to convince me. And we're not trying to convince him. <laughs> we're trying to convince ourselves. This is a self-checkup. And does that not go right along with this morning's message? And a lot of my preaching, when I say take the mirror and the magnifying glass and do that self-examination, and like David said, search me, O God. Laying yourself bare before him and saying, search the inward parts. David even went to the part of presumptuous sins he wanted to be so right with God that he said I don't want to presume anything presumptuous sins that's a whole nother message in itself (laughs) but how do we know that we you know we're to make our calling and election sure it's a self examination look I don't have to prove it to you God knows, but how do I know? And we have given examples of the chastening hand of God, like this morning, (laughs) the chastening hand of God. When we, as a child of God, do wrong, then he chastens us. Thank the Lord. That's a good way of knowing. Hey, I'm a child of God because he whoops me. (laughs) Not physically, like with the paddle, but... You know that he is correcting you. That's one way of knowing. But here he is. This is, and hereby we do know that we know him. How do I know him? Is a good example if we keep his commandments. He, He that saith, I know him, and keepeth not his commandments is a liar. And the truth is not in him. And again, we gave you the definition of truth this morning. The truth is not in you. A conformity to fact or reality, exact accordance with that which is or has been or shall be. So the truth, the word, has not been manifested in you. He's not living in you. And again, going back to our Wednesday night Bible study about the Spirit of God who indwells us. So, I just borrowed this from, well, I do have something else about Mr. Henry. I was looking at Matthew Henry and his breakdown of these verses was the trial of our light. And we dealt with light and we dealt with, um, let's see, light, light and love. And there was another one. Ah. 
What? Life. Life. Yeah. But our light and our love, we're going to see that again here. So verse numbers 3 and 4 is the trial of our light. Again, what are, who are we trying it for? Ourselves. You're putting yourself on trial. You're looking in the mirror and you're pointing to yourself and saying, how do you know that you are walking in the light? Hereby we know that we know him if we keep his commandments. Simple as that. And, and then the opposite of that, obviously, so you can do the examination, just get out your big scales here, not to be saved, but for self-examination, am I following in these precepts? We have, she says, oh no, we have our light. We have our light. Are we walking according to this book? That's how we know that we, that we know him. He says it, we follow it. He says not <laughs> so to do and not to do. And yes, the flesh wants to wrestle with us often. We say that's too hard. In fact, that's what happens a whole lot of times with those that don't know Christ as their Savior. That's the excuse that, that the devil will put up in front of them that says you can't live it. So, you, so don't even try. Don't even, don't even get saved because you can't live it. No, I can't live it. But Christ can live it in me and through me. And the Holy Spirit guides me. And again, being yielded to Him, going back to Wednesday nights, being totally yielded to Him in our walk, walk in the Spirit. He indwells and being conscious of him as a person and being real and realize that he that the Holy Spirit as a person indwells me. Christ was on the earth and he said, I went the, the Spirit will come, but only when I'm taken away. After I'm gone, the Father will send the Spirit. And he, he will indwell you. And he does the believer. So he indwells us, and to be conscious of that every time that we, every, every morning when we wake up, that the Spirit is with us. And when we go out into the world and we face and we face the vexations that are out there, like Lot faced, and the conversations that's out there that just pulls us down. And we come in on Wednesday night, and it, I'm hearing things, you know, the things that I've heard at work all day long is. Hard to get rid of. You go into the store and those old songs, <laughs> you come out and you find yourself humming one of them and you're like, why? Why? That flesh is drawn to that mess. So to, over, to overcome that, you start singing Amazing Grace just to get that out of your head. One of those little, one of those songs that you didn't even like, but it's just got that right rhythm and it's got those right words that get stuck in your head. And you're like, and somebody will say it, and then like, well, thanks. That's going to be in my head all day long until later on their own to hear me going, amazing grace. And what are you doing? I said, I'm trying to get that song out of my head. I'm trying to put something in my head that is much better than that old song. Amen. 
But so how do we know that we're walking the trial of our light? Are we walking this way or are we doing this? We got the light, <laughs> the light over here, but we're walking like this. Well, that's not going to help you out in this darkness. It's this way. You're paying attention to what's here. The same thing with this book. Oftentimes, we got it like this. Well, that's not proving that you are a follower of him. How do you know that you're walking in this light? This, this light will keep you from falling in those pitfalls that Satan has out there in front of us. Again, going back to the Pilgrim's Progress. <laughs> John Bunyan brought that out in his analogy there. And that dark valley. So if we say we have fellowship in him and walk in darkness, we lie. And do not the truth. But if we walk in the light, back up. Yeah. If we walk in the light, this goes to 1 John 1 6. Again, this 1 John 2 3 kind of, and 4 kind of goes back with 1 John 1 and verse number 6. It says, If we say we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his Son, cleanseth us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. And then he basically reiterates it here, and hereby we do know that we know him if we keep his commandments. He that saith, I know him, and keepeth not his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in us. So there first is the trial of our light. Are we walking in his commandments? And who are we proving it to? We're proving that to ourselves. Self-examination. Examine thyselves that you be in the faith. And then in verse number five, the trial of our love. Putting our, our love on examination, on trial. But whoso keepeth his word, in him verily is the love of God perfected. Hereby know we that we are in him. And he that saith he abideth in him ought himself also so to walk even as he walked. But whosoever keepeth his word, so we're keeping his word, and we're try, we're, we're, we've got checked, we got that checked off. We're following his word, his precepts. So we're, we're, we're passing the trial of our light. What about our love? And again, I kind of went ahead, and we're going back to loving the Lord with all our heart all our soul, with all our mind, and our strength. That fourth one that's Luke added. Examining our love, just like, again, John writing. 
It's John's record of a conversation between our Lord and Peter here in the book of John. <laughs> oh! So when they had dined, Jesus saith unto Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me more than these? He saith unto him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. He saith unto them, unto him, Feed my lambs. He saith unto him again a second, the second time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? He saith unto him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. He saith unto him, Feed my sheep. He saith unto him the third time, Simon, Simon thou son of Jonas, lovest thou me? Peter was grieved because he had said unto him the third time, Lovest thou me? And he said unto him, unto him, Lord, thou knowest all things. Thou knowest that I love thee. Jesus said unto him, Feed my sheep. So the Lord was questioning Peter about Peter's love for the Lord. And Peter looked around and seen John after the next passage on how that it was disclosed that Peter was going to die. And Peter's basically said, what about him? <laughs> and basically, just kind of like the, the paint, <laughs> look, we're not there yet. Peter said, the Lord, paraphrasing, the Lord said, don't worry about him. We're talking about you. Right. And that's, that's the flesh. We want to do that. God will sit down on your pew. <laughs> And point his finger at your heart and say, you need to get right with me. Or question your love for, for him. And our flesh will say, well, what about him? What about her? No, it's a self, a trial of our own love. But whoso keepeth his word in him verily is... So if you're keeping his word, verily will be the love of God. Is the love of God perfected? So, so this is the trial of our love. Is seeking, and I'll, I'll share Mr. Henry's thoughts here. But it kind of goes to your motives, which I know has been discussed as far as our motives oftentimes will be our motives, as been discussed, oftentimes, there we go, will be judged at the judgment seat of Christ. Are you just doing it out of, out of habit? Are you doing it out of obligation because you feel obligated to do it because you're a member of the church? Or are you truly doing it out of the love for the Father? If you love me, <laughs> keep... My commandments. But whoso keepeth his word, in him verily is the love of God perfected. Hereby know we that we are in him. He that saith he abideth in him ought himself also to walk, even as the Lord walked. You're perfected. Understanding and knowing that God, and we've made reference here before, but in this light, I think it's, it's interesting but the reference there in Romans chapter 8 again. Right. 
And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to His purpose, for whom He did foreknow, He also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of His Son. Does that not go with verse number 6 here? He that saith he abideth in Him ought himself also to walk, even as He walked. Going back up to He, Jesus Christ, the righteous, and how our lives should reflect Christ's life. But then it goes on to say, for whom he did foreknow, he did also predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. So he, he, we're predestinated to be conformed, not to be saved, but as a believer to be conformed to the image of his Son. Now, again, our trial of our walk is how... Free, we are to allow the Spirit of God to work in our lives, to conform us. Are we pliable clay that's easily conformed? Or does the, or does the Lord have to take a hammer and chisel <laughs> and chisel you out because you are hard against His conforming? Both will make a beautiful statue. Both will make a beautiful vessel. But it's just a whole lot easier when you are openly pliable to his work in you versus him having to take a hammer and chisel. The job gets done. He still makes you. He still conforms you to the image of his son. It's just easier on you if you're pliable versus the hammer and the chisel. So many times we're hard-headed. And yeah, we walk in the light, but, you know, we almost, um, we do it, but we do it in the wrong motive. We do it in the wrong spirit. We conform, but we conform uh, not so easily. That, you know, we have to be corrected. Well, just draw close. <laughs> just accept his, his molding and his making, realizing, look, one of these days we shall be like him. But again, going back to our, our light that we preached on a few weeks ago in this dark world, Sure, even the dimmest of light will shine bright in a dark place, but why shouldn't we shine bright for him? The trial of our love. So let me read these two again, and we'll give you Mr. Henry, and we'll be done, actually. Woo! But whoso keepeth his word, in him verily is the love of God perfected. So just allow it to mold you. Shape you. Hereby know we that we are in him. He that saith he abideth in him ought himself also so to walk, even as he walked. He's, he's the righteous. And we should reflect that. They should see that crowd down at Sooner Rose. They're Christians. I don't know about all these other places around here. I look at, I look at their... 
I look at their videos of their worship, they don't look much different than the, 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 the club that I went to last night. The music don't sound much different. The words are a little bit different, but the music's the same. I see. But there's something different about that crowd down at Sooner Rose. They still sing the old songs like, like that one couple visiting with us. We like that church because we don't have to read the words on the screen. You still use the book. <laughs> there's a difference. And we ought to want the difference. We ought to seek to walk in this. We're proving our, love, our, our light by walking in that, but we're proving our love to ourselves too, or our love to him by walking in that same word. Mr. Henry says these things about these last two verses here. To keep the word of God or of Christ is sacredly to attend thereto in all the conduct and motion of our life, of life. In him that does so is the love of God perfected. Possibly some may here understand God's love to us, and doubtless his love to us cannot be perfected or obtain its perfect design and fruit without our practical observance of his word. You have to observe the word for his love to be perfected in you. If we follow his word, going back to what we would be getting into in verse number 7 and 8, the old commandments and the new commandments, loving God, loving our neighbor and loving ourselves, I mean, <laughs> loving our neighbor as ourselves, and loving our brethren, by this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if ye have one, or if ye have love one to another. That's that new commandment. So, the only way that we can love God like we're supposed to, love our neighbor like we're supposed to, and love each other like we're supposed to is to allow the Word of God to have its perfect work in us. He goes on to say, We are chosen to be holy and blameless before Him in love. We are redeemed to be a peculiar people, zealous of good works. We are pardoned and justified that we may be partakers of larger measures of the divine spirit for sanctification. We are sanctified that we may walk in ways of holiness and obedience. No act of divine love that here terminates upon us obtains its proper tendency, issue, and effect without our holy attendance to God's word. So sometimes other men have a way of words. And I appreciated those words that Mr. Henry had put out there. So again, we, we dealt with the love of the, the, the commandments, that old commandment and the new commandments, but then we brought us back into how that works. And that's that word. Allow the word of God to examine us. And again, as I kind of alluded to what the Lord has put upon me, in some messages maybe going forward, I know one for sure. You say, well, that's not what I've been taught. Well, does it line up with that book? And when I present the, the book, line upon line, precept upon precept, are you going to buck? 
or are you going to conform? Bottom line, I will have it off my chest. I'll, have, I'll be guiltless of it whenever I deliver it. Then it'll be on you to follow. Bottom line. Now, I don't say that as a threat. I'm just saying that's the way that it is. If God has put me as the pastor of the church to take this church, this flock, if you will, to the, to the scriptures, to where he wants us to feed at, to the scriptures where he gives us instruction at, and then we say, oh, that's a bitter herb, and we don't take it in, even though that bitter herb may be good for you and me. <laughs> it is his word. It is his commandment. Are we going to walk therein? Are we going to allow ourselves to be perfected by his word? 